0: what's going on you guys welcome back to the neighborhood podcast i'm one of the hosts of the podcast kevin valentin
1: and i'm the other host of the podcast my name is kyle dabro kevin what is good my guy
0: chilling bro lazy weekend kind of just cooled it with family kicked back in the cut you know just the uh typical stuff after a crazy weekend last weekend
1: yeah i bet well you may need a little bit of rest this weekend for what's coming next weekend right
0: it's just another day, man.
1: Um, yeah, so. But, you know, I mean, overall, like, you know, I had to work this weekend. So it is what it is. So just out here with the grind, bro, just trying to get it popping, you know?
0: Got got to make that bread, man. The grind don't stop for nobody.
1: Yes, sir. But uh, I know we, we're kind of hitting the, uh, basically, the middle of summer here. And the, the sports topics are starting to dwindle a little bit. Obviously, you know, we'll be getting close to ramping up for the NFL season once training camp. Starts up at the end of July, but the, these next two weeks, there's definitely going to be a challenge for both of us, but that doesn't mean that we don't have content for you guys. Uh, we got about four or five topics to knock out. Kevin, you ready to hit these topics at the agenda?
0: Oh, but of course.
1: All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to start it off with some MLB discussions. So essentially we're just a couple days away from the MOB all-star break and Kevin and I are going to give our report cards Uh, for the MLB at this current moment in time. So we'll go along the lines of picking who's the best team that we think is, you know, at the top of the MLB right now, the most surprising team in baseball, the most disappointing team in baseball, and then to finish it out, the worst team in baseball. And then after that, we'll transition it to just a small discussion about both the AL and the NL rosters for the All-Star game. The MLB All-Star rosters have been set. They are ready to go. Um, The all-star game will take take place later this week, so we'll kind of dive into that a little bit. And then after that, uh, that'll wrap up the MLB portion of the episode. We'll kick it over to some NBA discussions. Um, That'll pretty much carry us on out to the end of the episode. Uh, We'll first talk about Damian Lillard. Uh, He did sign an extension with the Portland Trailblazers. I believe it was two years over $120 million, so he's getting paid over $60 million each year for that extension. Uh, we'll talk about him signing that extension and the impact that it's going to have for the Portland Trailblazers moving forward. After that, we'll talk a little bit about the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers signed John Wall to the roster a couple days ago. As it stands right now, the Clippers have, I think, the highest payroll in the NBA based on what the current projections are for the upcoming 22 uh, NBA season. They're like $75 million over the luxury tax, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, So we'll dive into that and just the impact that John Wall is going to bring to the Clippers going into next year. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun to wrap up the episode. The NBA season has come to an end. Obviously, Golden State won the finals. Uh, That point is done and over with. But we are going to focus on who we think are the top three players in the NBA at this current moment in time. So, I mean, we got a, a whole bunch of players to go through. But to limit it to three, uh, that's what Kevin and I are going to do to close out the episode. So that's pretty much what we have on deck for you guys. So let's not waste any more time. Uh, let's dive straight into the episode. Let's, let's talk about this MLB report card. So Kevin, to just to kind of like focus where we're going to go with this. Like I said, you know, we're going to go best team in baseball, most surprising team, most disappointing team, and then the worst team. So Kevin, to get this one to you, give me your MLB report card at the all-star break right now.
0: So at this point in the season, um, you know, obviously without it being biased, it's just a fact, the best team in baseball, uh, is gonna be the New York Yankees. Obviously with the numbers we're putting up at home, obviously us being consistent away. Unfortunately we did lose tonight, or the last two against Boston, should I say, so we split the series. Um And just the way that we've been playing baseball throughout the entire first half of this season, it's just we're dominating in all facets. We're pitching well. We're hitting well. Um, You know, the coaching staff looks to be running on the same page. I mean, Boone's been ejected a couple of times. So there is life, you know, out there in this team. And then, of course, you know, we are always looking to maybe bolster this roster, especially in the terms of how Matt Carpenter has turned out to be as successful as he has we might be willing to make some moves at the trade deadline some rumors are having it that maybe joey gallo might be uh coming off of the uh coming off of the roster with his recent struggles and then most disappointing team or no surprising team is going to be the new york mets i don't think anybody saw the mets having the record that they do i mean i don't think anybody in the nl east especially after the braves were got kuna back that the braves would not be in first place and i know it's only a game and a half but, you know, the Mets currently have the best record in the National League at 53-33, and 33, which is, again, I always joke around and say they're the little sister, little brother to the, the Yankees. But I got to give them their flowers. They're doing really, really good. They're staying consistent. And, again, it's just the first half. But for them to be as consistent as they've been all year, uh, swinging the bat and then, of course, pitching the baseball, it's it's been a sight to see. I'm just, you know, happy that both New York teams are doing what they need to do. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, now it's the most disappointing team. All right. Okay. Just double checking. Uh, most disappointing team for me is going to be the LA, the uh, the Anaheim Angels, the Los Angeles Lakers. Whatever Lakers. Wow, Los Angeles Angels. It's crazy. Uh, you got roster that's just star studded with you know obviously Mike Trout, Otani, Rendon went down for the season, but you have just you know bats like that. You have the pitching staff that added Noah Syndergaard. They fired Joe Madden. It's just it 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 looks to be an absolute dumpster fire in LA. And uh, you know, between the injury bug and the struggles, Mike Trout being hurt and then going into a slump, Otani getting uh, figured out sometimes, depending on you know what it is he's been pitching. Uh, I know when he faced the Yankees, he kind of got rocked, uh, which made me feel good. But you know, overall, just a team that you expected after they went twenty-eight and seventeen, competing with the Yankees for the best record early on or early on in the year it's just unfathomable for them to be as bad as they are right now. And if I'm not mistaken, the Angels are currently sitting at 38 and 49, uh, 11 games under 500. And of course you're sitting here and you're looking at it and they are 19 games back out of first place from the Astros. You didn't expect it, especially with the start that they had. So a little bit painful to to watch, but it is what it is. And then, you know, we we, we go into the worst team in baseball and that's going to be the Oakland Athletics. Not only is fan attendance at an all-time low, but they're just uh, uh, in a, of an abysmal 11-31 and 31 at home, and that's a big contribution to the fact that they don't have anybody supporting them. They're not swinging the bats very well. Their ERA is probably one of the highest in in the MLB, and then they can't even get it done away. Granted, their away record is better than their home record, but they're 18-27. and 27. So you look at it and you say, this season has been interesting. There have been some ups and downs. There have been some surprising teams, but overall that's going to be my report card thus far for the first half.
1: Kevin, I mean, when I look at my MLB report card um, at this point in the season, um, it's pretty much along a similar line as you. I may only have like one team that may be slightly different, but um, I'll just start it off from here. So to me, the best team in baseball right now is clearly the New York Yankees. The Yankees have just been firing on all cylinders this year from top to bottom. I mean, they're the first team to 60 wins this season, they hold a considerable lead over the second or third best team, not just in the American League, but throughout the entire uh, MLB as a whole. It's just, it's really kind of a testament to their excellence when it comes to playing just phenomenal baseball this year. I mean, Judge is playing up to snuff. Stanton's right behind him. And their pitching staff has been absolutely phenomenal. Nestor Cortez has been amazing this year. He's going to... I believe his first all-star game appearance later this week, um, just really from top to bottom, no matter how you slice it or dice it. I mean, the Yankees are just on fire right now. Just th- when you combine how they've been pitching, how they've been hitting uh, this team is just, just flat out amazing so far. So I, as far as I'm concerned, um, it's the Yankees and it's not even close. I mean, the next closest team is probably like either the Ashers or, or the Dodgers. And they're like five, five and a half games back of what the Yankees have been doing. So really it's a, it's a testament to how they've been playing extremely well this year. Uh, my most surprising team, uh, very similar to you, Kev is I'm going with the New York Mets as well. I mean, they're off to an amazing start this year. They're over 50 wins. Uh, they've been getting great contributions from their hitting I really like, I want to focus on their hitting here. When I look at the guys that have been just consistent the entire year, I'm looking at guys like, Starlin Marte, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil. I mean, these guys are always in the rotation. They're always out on the field for the Mets, and these guys are just lighting it up. Uh, I'll take McNeil, for example. He's batting three eleven this year. Starlin Marte is batting two ninety one. Pete Alonso is batting two seventy three and he's hit 23 home runs to boot as well. Um, Mark Kanya, I believe that's how you say his name, he's batting two seventy three. So, I mean, that's just four or five guys that I've mentioned. I'll, I'll throw Francisco linton Dorr in there. Um, statistically, when it comes to his batting average, I mean, he's batting 240, which is not awful, but a little bit of room for improvement. But he has hit 15 home runs. So he's done pretty solid so far alongside the uh, the 60 RBIs he's brought in as well. So kind of similar to what Kevin said, um, my two top teams, or the two teams that I, that I picked are very similar to what Kevin picked. And then I'm going to kick it over to the more disappointing teams. And just to kind of start it out, my most disappointing team is the San Francisco Giants. Uh, The reason why I picked the Giants is last year they won over a hundred games. They had 107 wins in a very competitive NL West. They ended up actually winning the division over the Dodgers by one game last year, 107 wins last year. I thought was phenomenal for the Giants Well, this year. They have definitely come back down to earth, and they're sitting at a forty-three and thirty, uh, a forty-three and forty-one record. Excuse me, which is just a touch over five hundred. Now I understand that Buster Posey retired last year, and that's definitely a huge gap to fill. But I'm looking at other guys like Luis Gonzalez, Jock Peterson, Wilmer Flores, Mike Isseymski. Like these guys are just not necessarily putting up the numbers that they were last year. I mean, granted, I understand they lost Chris Bryant as well, but, I mean, outside of Luis Gonzalez, you know, Jock Peterson's only batting 260. Wilmer Flores is only batting 240. Mikey Strzemski is batting just under 230. It just, overall, it just doesn't seem like the bats are on point with the Giants this year compared to last year. Now, granted, they have a lot of time to kind of make it up. They still have the rest of July to figure this out, August and September. They could turn it around, but... The way that I see it is the Padres are better than them in the NL West. And the Dodgers are clearly better than the Giants at this point right now. So the Giants got a lot of room uh, for improvement here. Um, I think if they make it to the playoffs somehow, uh, it will probably be in a wild card position. But they definitely got a tough road ahead of them. And then to round this out, very similar to Kev, uh, the team that I've picked here as the worst team in baseball, it is the Oakland Athletics. It's not even close. They have the worst winning percentage in all of baseball with a 33% winning percentage. That's just abysmal. I mean, I think their average attendance when it comes to home games this year is just like around four or 5,000 people. It really goes to show uh, the lack of support that this team has. And it's based on the, the fan attendance. They are not showing up to the games. The team as a whole, they are just struggling in every single category that you could think of. Their hitting is not that good. Their pitching is not that good. Just overall, this team is a tire fire. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. And if you're an Ace fan, I, I I hate to do it to you, but just I start looking for a different team to root for because the Ace are just not going anywhere anytime soon. But outside of that, uh, that's pretty much have that's pretty much what I have when it comes to my MLB report card. And uh, Kev, I'll kick it back to you.
0: It's crazy to think that the longest season in sports is halfway over, like 162 games and we're in the middle. It's just, I can't get over it. Like time is really flying and baseball season is usually that sport that shows you how fast it's flying. So oh. um, I can't believe that the All-Star Games here, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be in L.A. this year, which is a perfect transition into our MLB All-Stars Uh, the rosters were announced today in terms of selection officially. And, uh, you know, members of specific teams were notified. I know that the Yankees kind of did a whole thing where, like, Aaron Boone kind of invited them into the office one by one to let them know that they were selected. But, uh, you know, without further ado, uh, the MLB All-Star Game rosters are as followed. First starting in the American League, we have Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays, uh, at catcher, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first place from the Blue Jays, Jose Altuve at second base for the Astros. Rafael Devers from the Red Sox at third base, Tim Anderson from the White Sox and at shortstop, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield for the Yankees, and of course Mike Trout from the Angels at also uh, at center field, and then Shoei Otani is going to be the DH from the Angels. Moving into the National League starters, we have Wilson Contreras from the Cubs at catcher, Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals at first base, Chaz Chisholm at Second base from the Marlins, Manny Machado at third for the Padres, Trey Turner uh, at shortstop for the Dodgers. Uh, At outfield, we have Ronald Acuna Jr. At outfield, uh, Mookie Betts in the outfield, and Jock Peterson at the outfield for the Giants. Uh, Obviously, for those of you that are unaware, of course, Mookie Betts plays for the Dodgers. Uh, And then at DH, we have Bryce Harper from the Phillies. And of course, there's a a litany of reserves and people that are, are rightfully going to be mentioned later on. But again, I just... For the sake of time, I don't want to drag this segment out. Reading every single year or name, uh, I I I would assume that the starting pitchers have been announced. I couldn't find it. Uh, I didn't see any announcements as to who's going to you know be given the nod for their starters. I would assume it's probably be Kershaw and then uh, McClanahan for the Rays. But you know we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's going to be an interesting All Star game. I'm not even going to lie to you. <laughs> It makes me laugh that this is the only competitive all-star game left in professional sports because we all know that this goes down to the wire every single year they play on through. I mean, unless it's an actual blowout, which it rarely ever is. um, These are the best players in the league and they're actually going at it every single year. So I I look forward to this every year, especially because it's always around my birthday.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, just to kind of look at it, like just from my perspective, I'm going to focus it more in in a team perspective, just kind of looking at like, my biggest takeaways from the teams that really kind of shined uh, with the amount of all-stars that were selected uh, to this year's all-star game. I mean, it, it's clear as day, the Yankees were clearly the winners when it comes to the amount of players that are going to the all-star game. They have six players going. So it really is a testament. It really kind of shows just how good the Yankees are this year. I mean, you got Garrett Cole going, Nestor Cortez, Clay Holmes, Aaron Judge, Stanton, and Trevino. That's a solid core of guys that's going to the All Star game this year. And then also, I, I got to throw out the Braves. The Braves have five players going with Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, William Contreras, uh, Tra- Travis DeArnaud, I think that's how you say his name, uh, Max Fried, uh, and I think Dans- Dansby Swanson was the last guy to round out uh, the Braves. And then just to kind of kick it over to a uh, team that we had as the most surprising team in baseball. Uh, The Mets have four players going. Uh, the Mets have really been one of the shocks in not just National League this year, but really the MLB as a whole with how successful their season has been so far. And with guys like Pete Alonso, uh, Edwin Diaz, Starlin Marte, and Jeff McNeil, I think that's a solid core of players from the Mets that are going to the All-Star Game. And I think it is well-deserved just because the Mets have really been one of the more shocking teams in a positive manner with how they've been playing this year. And I do think that all four of those players that are going are well deserving of an all-star game selection.
0: It actually turns out that uh, Harper will not be playing. He's injured. So uh, Wilson Contreras will be taking his, excuse me, William Contreras will be taking his spot at the DH position. This year was cool. They actually got some legacy players for some older veterans. Miguel Cabrera for the American League and Albert Pujols for the Cardinals. Both of them are notably playing in their last MLB season after having an amazing Hall of Fame career for each. So kudos to Rob Manfred, which I will never say again in a sentence, for actually you know incorporating um, this into the All-Star Game. Both Hall of Fame players deserve to kind of be walked off and celebrated, and I think that this is a pretty cool tip of the cap for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, by and large... I think, you know, no matter how you look at it when it comes to Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, I mean, these guys have been really stalwarts the last 15 years in the MLB. I mean, Albert Pujols, I mean, basically outside of a couple of years with the Dodgers, it's basically been a, a career player with the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh my God, it took me a second to get that one. And then, you know, Miguel Cabrera has really just, he's been very loyal to Detroit playing for the Detroit Tigers. I mean, both of these guys. I mean, I remember I remember I used to wake up in the morning, watch SportsCenter before I go to school. And mind you, these guys were in the primes of their careers when I was at that point in my life. I think I was like 12 or 13 years old. Those guys were always at the top of their games back then. And even as you know you get towards the end of their career it's it's very nice to see them get one more all-star game so they can you know celebrate this last what i would say is like basically kind of like their capstone to their MLB career unless either team were to win a uh, world series championship with either the tigers or the cardinals uh, so i mean overall i i think it was solid that albert and miguel cabrera got in and and i'm glad that they did
0: Again, it's uh it's an incredible time of the year, man. I really 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 do love watching the All-Star game. I love the Home Run Derby. It is something for me that will always hold a a big place in my heart just because of being able to have witnessed the Home Run Derby in the final year of Yankee Stadium, the old stadium. And then of course it just being summertime. So once again, just the All-Star game always being around my birthday is just a time that I always look forward to. Uh, so, oh my God, I just realized. Oh, never mind. I, I misread something. I was about to say, me and Albert Pujols have the same birthday, but I'm looking at Damian Lillard for our next subject. So, I guess that's a perfect segue to kind of go off the MLB.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we'll kick it over to the NBA for a little bit. Uh, the first segment that we're going to focus on is Damian Lillard. Uh, Damian Lillard has resigned with the Portland Trailblazers for an extension. Uh, this extension is going to cover, I believe, the 2025. 2026 season and then the 2026 2027 season um he signed that two year extension upwards of 121 million dollars so he's definitely locked in for the next five years or so he will be a Portland Trailblazer for the foreseeable future now Kevin to kick this one to you with Damian Lillard re-signing his extension with the Portland Trailblazers how does this impact Portland moving forward
0: uh well obviously you know shout out to Damian Lillard um if he hears this, you know, happy birthday, bro. Wish you had the same day. It's kind of cool. Um, I know it's the 15th, but I'm just saying, you know, by the time this comes out by the time you see it. Anyway, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So Dame Lillard obviously is choosing the bag, choosing to stay loyal. And a lot of people came at me sideways for my take on the Bradley Beal thing. The difference to me, Portland has tried to bring people in to make him better. Portland has tried to create... A roster that could be successful, whether that was Nurkic, whether that was bringing Cantor back, whether that was uh, you know giving CJ mccullum an extension at the time, whether or not that was trading for Robert Covington and so on and so on and so forth. Like they have brought players in, and Portland has made a Western Conference Finals in their lifetime. Like while Dame was there, Portland fought their way back in the bubble to make the playoffs in 2020. Portland has dealt with a multitude of injuries between CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. They went out and they signed Melo and re- revitalized his career for the last three or four seasons. Like, they have done things to be competitive. Alferney Simmons, well, I always it's, forget.
1: It's Anthony Simmons.
0: Anferny Simmons. Excuse me, and I apologize for my, my mispronunciation. He just got a massive extension because, again, that was a younger player that came up in the system after CJ left stepped up and was able to take the role of being the primary scorer while Dame was injured last year Nurkic or excuse me yeah no Nurkic Yurkic? Nurkic
1: It's I believe it's Yurkic. It's I ner- it, it whatever does I think it's Nurkic. Yeah, right, right. Nurkic
0: Nurkic right the the center yeah. that plays from, yeah. from from for for the Blazers that's another player that was actually acquired and and, and went out and, and has been a great and solidified big for Damian Lillard in the pick and roll. What I'm getting at is him choosing to take this bag is not a surprise because at the end of the day, he has stated a multitude of times, I'm not leaving Portland. He's had multiple opportunities to leave. He has been frustrated because he feels that, you know, they can build around him a lot more, but at least they've tried. At least they've made the playoffs. And I think that this... Just says that, like a lot of other athletes, you know, he's accepting. It is what it is. He's reading between the lines. I don't see the the Portland Trailblazers winning um, anytime soon. I'm not saying that they won't make the playoffs, but, uh, you know, it is the Western Conference. We've talked about it a multitude of times. A lot of players are coming back from injury next year, and it's going to be tough for them to compete in the Western Conference. But Dame taking the bag to me, not really that big of a surprise. I'm just going to go out there and say, Congratulations on earning well over $60 million uh, in terms of per year with this extension, uh, but obviously that's going to break down into a, a different contract. I believe it's going to be upwards of 44 to $45 million a season, so kudos to Dame Lillard. I'm happy he's getting a bag, but again, I need to identify and be specific. Bradley Beal is choosing to stay with a bad team that has not made the playoffs on a consistent basis and take money away from his team that is not trying to make him competitive versus the Portland Trailblazers have made the playoffs in a more difficult conference, have given money to other players, while at the same time paying their star player. That's the big, big, big difference. Playoff success, no playoffs at all. Both players, in terms of Bradley Beal and Damer, are are choosing to get the bag. What are you going to do? That's this generation.
1: I mean, the way that I see it is, obviously, you know, Dame getting a huge contract like that. I mean, for him personally, I mean, when it comes to the money, I mean, he's going to be set for the next five years anyway. And just that extension, the last two years, is just kind of like icing on the cake at that point. Um, When it comes to Portland, though, and as far as their impact goes, I will say that Portland has definitely tried to bolster their roster in a way to be a little bit more competitive in the Western Conference. Will it have a huge effect or like a significant impact in their standing in the Western Conference, slightly. I think that's like best case scenario with them. I think worst case scenario is they kind of just stay just outside of the playoffs in the Western Conference. So, I mean, just to kind of look at, just to kind of look at the Trailblazers roster here. I I do like the fact that Portland went out and got Jeremy Grant to go out to Portland uh, to go alongside Damian Lillard. I think that was a solid I forgot that. I, I think that was a solid move by them. I think, you know, getting Jeremy Grant out of Detroit, which is, Kevin and I have this running joke about really bad teams in the NBA, is that any bad team, I mean, like, historically bad team, we basically label that team as, like, a black hole. And I understand that the Pistons did win a championship. Granted, that that was almost 20 years ago now. But they're basically a team that I would consider, like, an NBA black hole basically where careers are essentially just put on hold or careers essentially die in Detroit because nothing positive really comes out of Detroit. It's just a tire fire of a situation. And I'm glad that Jeremy Grant found his way out of that tire fire situation in Detroit and found a, I think, a more suitable home to possibly win at a higher level with the Portland Trailblazers. I also like the fact that they improved their bench depth as well. They picked up Gary Payton II, um, in, a, in a free agent move uh, just a couple weeks back. I mean, look, you're getting a championship caliber player in Gary Payton II, who's just coming off of his first NBA championship with the Golden State Warriors a couple of weeks ago. So I do like the fact that they not only addressed their starting roster, because when I look at it, Jeremy Grant, I don't know if he's going to be the number two or the number three with Portland. You can kind of, make a toss up between uh, Anthony Simmons and Jeremy Grant as like, who's going to play the two, like who's going to be the second best player. Who's going to be the third best player on the roster. You can kind of flip a coin and you can just kind of pick either or at this point. But you know, I like the fact that they bolstered their, their starting lineup. And I think they finally addressed the, uh, the CJ McCollum uh, issue when CJ was traded last season. So that was really the grant part. And then I think, Adding to their bench with Gary Payton the second, I think that was a solid move on their part as well. So, you know, overall, you know, Dame signing his extension with Portland, I think is is a net positive because it keeps it there's no more lingering doubt about him possibly moving on to a new team after this initial contract goes out. But with the contract extension that he just signed, that two-year extension, I think that will do uh wonders for Portland as being able to retain him for the next five years or so. And really the only thing that Portland has to work from here on out is to just try to keep building a roster that could be able to contend in the Western conference. That has really been a struggle of the last year or two for Portland. Obviously Dame has been frustrated uh, with the lack of success that this team has had just in the last year or two. But I do like the fact that they, they have a solid core here. You got Dame, you have Simmons, You have Jeremy Grant, you have Nurkic, Josh Hart, and Gary Payton II. And then if I had to throw one more name in there, probably Nazir Little. That's not necessarily the worst lineup in the NBA. I think that's a competitive seven to eight man rotation right there. Uh, We'll see how it works out in the regular season. But overall, I do think that with Dame re-signing, them getting Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton in free agency this offseason i think that portland is in a better situation i do think that they have a pretty good chance of being able to make it to the playoffs next year that's just how i see it
0: sorry i muted the mic because i'm sitting there sneezing and shit uh i they're gonna be competitive they're gonna be good i know i said i don't think they're going to but then remembering that they have grant Remembering that they signed Gary Payton the second. For whatever reason, I literally had an entire brain fart thinking they did nothing but pay him. So probably a bad take on my part. Yeah, I stand by what I said. There's a very distinct difference between Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard because they're still trying to do things to make a successful roster around him. Um, I think that Damian Lillard is, is just a different breed. Somebody that looks for the hardest road possible. He said, you know what? I'm going to do it with this team. I'm going to drop 30 a game if I have to, 35 a game. And he goes at you. He's not a scared player. He drives to the basket. He's a great leader. And I I really, really think that Damian Lillard is going to go down as one of those people. He may not win a championship. Um, You know, he may not be the most flashy player in the world that goes and dunks on everybody. But his skill set, him remaining loyal to what he wants in Portland, and then this franchise doing everything that they can to build around him, whether that is through free agency or trades, as you can see, they're doing both. Um, I really do think that that speaks volume to his character, and I respect that.
1: Yeah, it's just you have to kind of be careful with when you look at it with Dame and Bradley Beal from just a numbers perspective. Dame is actually getting paid more in this extension than what Bradley's going to make per year in Washington. Yeah. Now, great Well, that. It's oh, a two, per year, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a two-year extension. I'm just talking about the extension. I'm not talking about the next two to three years that Dame has on his contract, because that contract, right. you know, I think that finishes out in 2025, and then the extension kicks in the 2025 season, and then finishes in 2027. So I don't think That's an
0: insane amount of money.
1: I, I mean, look, I, I, I think if you're looking at it from Portland's perspective, they see these next three years as pivotal because when that 53, I think it's the first year of Dame's extension kicks in. I think the guys make it like 53 mil and then it gets bumped up to, I think like 58 or no, no, no. I think it's even higher than that. I mean, I may be even citing the numbers wrong. It could even be higher. I think it's, I think it's like I'm, I'm drawing a blank when it comes to the numbers. I'd have to look up at, at his actual contract. Let me pull it up real quick. Okay, so he's making $58 million the first year and then $63 million in the second for the extension. Yeah, I, I knew I had my numbers wrong there. but That's a lot of money, bro.
0: That's a lot. That's, that's that's ungodly, bro. It's just,
1: God, human beings are not worth that much money. I mean, you know, this year he's only making 42. Only. But it's like... I think that Portland from their front office is saying, it's like, we got a window. Like we got, we got a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to possibly making some moves uh, this off season. They did that with Jeremy Grant. They did that with Gary Payton, the second, you know, and then when you, you, you tie in the players that they have on the roster with Nurkic, with uh, Anthony Simmons. Simmons. I mean, they have a decent rotation here. Is it the best in the West? No. Nobody's saying that. But is it a little bit more competitive than what it's been the last year or two? I believe so. I, I, if they I, can I, stay healthy, yeah. I, I'm glad that uh, they did fill in uh, the CJ McCollum void after he got traded. So I think that was probably why they went after Jeremy. And it's really just kind of – be it's going to be dependent on who's really going to step up into that, that two slot. I'm not talking about the, the number two position on the court. I'm talking about who's going to be second fiddle second to fiddle Damian in the game. Is it going to be Simmons or is it going to be Grant? And that's really, I think, how it's going to play out. So overall, I, I do think that Portland is taking is taking a step in the right direction. Uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes from here on out. But it's the Western Conference, bro. It's always stacked. And, and Portland's just going to have to find their way. To, to possibly make a decent run in the Western Conference next year, which is not an easy, easy feat. It's a tough one.
0: And is it's, it's going to get harder, which is a perfect segue into our next topic. Teams are getting healthy, like I said. Next season, barring any setbacks, you're going to get Jamal Murray back, getting Kawhi Leonard back, you're getting John Wall back in the league, which again, you know, that's just two players on the same team for the Clippers purposes, which is again, exactly what we're going into. Um, Damian Lillard is going to be back and healthy, and obviously you get Zion Williamson coming back, and just a litany of players that are just literally going to be thrown back into competitive in terms of competition for the Western Conference, right? The Clippers, Kyle, naturally and historically have been your favorite team's little brother, like a step little brother because they've been pretty irrelevant for a little bit, now have the most expensive fucking roster. In the NBA, bro, I I, I gotta ask, did you even think this was pot? Like the Clipper, this isn't the team that I thought would have the most expensive roster, but we broke it down player by player. It's it's nuts,
1: bro. They're they're 75 million over the cap going into this year. So just to kind of set the stage for everybody here, the the NBA salary cap is set 123 million dollars like 665000 The Clippers are $75,246,111 over the cap. They almost have a $200 million payroll going into this year. Granted, when you look at the roster, obviously the big names are Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, and throw John Wall and Marcus Morris in there. Obviously those are kind of the big names uh, that are going to be featured with the Clippers this season, but overall this is an expensive roster when you're only $9 million away from a $200 million roster. When it comes to their payroll, it really goes to show that the Clippers are going all in for the next couple of years with these guys, with Paul George and Kawhi. So it's, it's been a minute since we've seen Kawhi. Uh, he's, Recovering from his ACL injury that he suffered not last season, but the season before, then. But overall, this is going to be an interesting. This is going to be an interesting project with the Clippers. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Clippers signing John Wall, and now having a payroll of over 190 million dollars, how do you think it's going to impact the Clippers going into next year?
0: Well, it's it's a matter of health. You have a lot of players on this roster that have been injury prone: Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, John Wall. <laughs> you, you, come on, man! I mean, Marcus Morris was missing some time last year. Like we're talking about more than thirty to forty percent of this roster being injury prone. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are set to make eighty-four million dollars between the two of them. <laughs> Kyle just said that the the cap space, like the cap total is about 123 that's more than half the cap between two people that's ridiculous um i'm looking at this and i'm saying like i just stated a few moments ago this is going to be a competitive conference in the west uh we all know that the lakers are going to try to do whatever it is that they're going to do next season with their own issues but again just to have everybody realize this team was still somewhat relevant Come the playoffs or come come the postseason uh this past season. Uh if I'm not mistaken, they didn't make it because they no, hold on. Now I'm drawing a blank because I'm I'm getting teams confused. The Clippers didn't make the playoffs, correct?
1: No, they didn't make the playoffs.
0: I'm literally sitting here having a whole brain fart. They went on a skid, and whatever happened, just because obviously Kawhi was out, Paul George came back too late, and then obviously you had a lot of different issues where they were, you know, struggling. Because if I'm not mistaken, uh, injuries just really beat the crap out of this team, man. So it's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm literally remembering now. Uh, you go and you sign John Wall. John Wall it has not played meaningful basketball. I mean, woof, a couple of years. You go and you get him, and I saw an interview where John had made an interesting point. You have Kawhi and Paul George on the same team. Arguably, you can kind of pick which one is going to be your number one scorer, depending on the night. We all know it's Kawhi, but Paul has shown that he could carry the load. John Wall made the point, the third best player on the court has to guard him. If John Wall is 75% of what he was three years ago, good luck guarding him. He's literally, I want to say, a year and a half away from playing basketball. He's rested. His body is healthy. No rehab. No issues off the court. Um, you saw in warmups while he was in Houston. You saw at practice while he was in Houston. He still had it. He just chose not to play, and then him, you know, Houston and John Wall had agreed you know, with the contract, it's just best suited that he not suit up. For whatever reason, that was just a decision they came to because nobody wanted to take on his $47 million contract. Dude, John Wall running the floor... Run- wow, I can't speak. Running the floor with Marcus Morris when healthy, with Luke Kennard at a sharpshooter, with Norman Powell on the break, with Kawhi Leonard and freaking Paul George and Zubac, which is a big that can run, Batum coming off the bench. Like, this is a very, very solid team. Covington in the corner. This is going to be an interesting roster. I think the Clippers can make some noise and go into a top three, potentially uh, top two seating if everybody stays healthy. Kawhi's been away for a long time. Paul George has an offseason to fully, fully recover from whatever it is he's had. And of course, now John Wall has an opportunity to prove the world that I still got it. This team's going to be scary. I think that the cap is absolutely ridiculous because when you break it down, like literally, like I said, two players take up well over 50% of your cap space. I will never agree to any of that. But when you look at this on paper... This is a good roster. But Kyle and I made the point before we started recording, when you look at a roster on paper, doesn't necessarily equivalent to what it's going to actually be on the court. We'll see what happens. But this Clippers roster, as it's currently assembled with the cap, they are all in. And if they don't win, this is going to be a very, very expensive loss.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the contracts and just like the cap hits of, of really all the main players. I mean, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They account for 42%. So you were close. It was like you were really off by like a percentage point. 42% of the cap with two players. It's absolutely nuts. And then when you look at the rest of the roster, Norman Powell, he's making 16 mil going into next year. I believe Marcus Morris is making around 16. And then, you know, you add in John Wall, Nicholas Batum, Richie Jackson. All. I mean, they have a pretty decent roster to work with here going into next year. Obviously, The cap hit part is just absolutely nuts with them being $75 million in the hole with a luxury tax. But it tells me the Clippers, this is their team, and they're going all in with it. Whether they win or lose in the end, this is what they're going to be. So overall, I think I'm kind of in a similar sentiment with Kevin about the Clippers being potentially a top three team in the Western Conference. I'm not going to say they're going to go as far as a two seed. Now, granted... He did make the point about them staying healthy. Obviously, that has to be the factor here if they're going to make a top three seed in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is an extremely stacked conference and it has been for quite some time. It's just that when I look at this roster, I just don't see longevity here. I, I don't see sustainability as far as being healthy the entire way through. Look, you know, Paul George was dealing with a litany of injuries last year. Kawhi missed the entire year last year with a torn ACL. I would assume that he's fully recovered from that at this point. And then like Kevin said, John Wall has been dealing with injuries and has been battered with injuries for the last three years or so. It just seems like whenever he's ready to hit the court, just something pops up and he misses a significant period of time. Now, hopefully going into this year, that's not the case. Hopefully, John Wall is 100% ready to go, and he does wonders for the Clippers. And, you know, I mean, when I look at the Clippers here, I mean, I'm looking at a roster here that's nine to 10 players deep. You know, when you've got a team led by Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and then you have some pretty solid role players like Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, uh, Robert Covington, Reggie Jackson, John Wall now into the fold, Nicholas Batum. This is not a scrub roster. This is a roster that can compete with the best in the Western conference. It's just whether or not these guys stay healthy. And when I look at Paul George, when I look at Kawhi Leonard and when I look at John wall, these are obviously the three stalwarts that are going to be the focal pieces for the Clippers next year. They're all injury prone in one way or another. These guys have been dealing with injuries and it's really hindered them the last year or two. And, It could be the same thing going into next year, just because all these guys are getting older. These guys are not, I wouldn't necessarily call these guys like spring chickens anymore. These guys are getting a little bit older. And as time goes on, it just seems to me that the injuries are starting to wither them down a little bit. Is that going to happen next year? Nobody knows right now. I just can't bank on, them being healthy the entire way through. So that's where a lot of these role players like Marcus Morris, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Rich Jackson, they're going to have to step up in a huge and pivotal way. If either John Wall goes down with injury, God forbid, or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, obviously you don't want to see these guys get hurt. You want to see these guys perform at the highest level possible, but if they do just based on the NBA gods, these role players that I just mentioned, they're going to have to step up in a huge way to carry the Clippers to the playoffs this year or this upcoming season. Excuse me. You know, this team barely missed the playoffs last year. They, they got into the play in tournament as a nine seed, which I actually think is kind of a Testament uh, to Paul George for being able to basically drag this roster to the, that play in tournament last year, despite all the injuries that this team had. And unfortunately, you know, Paul George wasn't able to play in that play-in tournament game, and he was dealing with injuries of his own. And the Clippers were on the outside looking in when it came into the playoffs last year. I don't think that will be the case this year. I do believe that as long as everybody stays healthy primarily throughout most of the regular season, I think they'll be not only a playoff team. I think they got a real shot to be a contender this year. I'm not saying that they're going straight to the finals and they're going to win the NBA championship. I'm not saying that. But overall, this team is in a better position to succeed than they were last year. And if all those main three guys with Paul, Kawhi, and John Wall, they play a significant amount of games and they play up to snuff, they could really compete for a three seed, uh, the way that I see it.
0: The Clippers are gonna be interesting to watch. Obviously, we gotta see if if Kawhi still got it. We all know that ACL injuries are are very, very hindering. Uh, upon a player's return getting back into a rhythm he might not be the same caliber player that he was but you know you know prayers up and hopefully Kawhi can return to his emotionless self Uh, we all know that Paul George can be a bucket we all know that when people are unavailable for whatever reason this team finds a way to win whether that's Reggie Jackson whether that's Terrence Mann whether that's Luke Kennard now you add John Wall the Clippers are not a joke Again, just like I literally said a second ago, I'm not saying they're going to make a finals run or anything, but they will They will compete at a very high level if healthy. I think John Wall really can be a crazy dynamic because he's not necessarily known for shooting, mm-hmm. um, and they have quite a bit of shooters on this roster as is. If John Wall can penetrate and kick out to Paul George, kick out to Kennard, kick out to Kawhi, it's going to be pretty crazy, but I do know that Kawhi likes to have the ball in his hands a lot more than most people remember, so um, it's going to be interesting to see how John Wall is going to be playing off the ball. So uh, I think that this is going to be some growing pains for Tyron Llewitt, especially going to be early on because a lot of people got to learn how to play together, but if they can get this ship right and the key is just making sure that people are available, it's going to be, cool. it's going to be huge for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, if John Wall is not able to consistently knock down shots behind the three-point line, he could just live in the mid-range game if he's given those opportunities. Or just
0: straight-up finish at the paint, bro. This man's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, with all the injuries that he's had, has he lost a step with his explosiveness? And I think to a certain extent, yeah, he has. That doesn't mean he's not viable. I mean, Russell Westbrook has gone through multiple injuries throughout his NBA career, and yet he still finds that explosive gear when he needs to. And I do think that John Wall still has that. It's just that with the amount of injuries that he's had the last couple of years, I mean, some of these are just debilitating injuries. And I hope in John Wall's case, uh, he's able to, to bounce back and provide huge dividends uh, for the Clippers because the Clippers, $75 million over over the cap, my guy. They're definitely pushing for it.
0: So yeah, You better win with that much money.
1: Uh, they got a lot riding here. And they better uh they better step up or it's kinda like you said, all that money spent, it it might just be burnt Benjamin's bro, if it doesn't work out for them. So that boy kinda, Steve
0: Ballmer looking at everybody and saying, I swear to God, if y'all don't win.
1: It's like can't say that I didn't try. Putting the Facts. money on the line there, so it's kinda up to him. But we'll see what happens. It's really kind of on the players to to be able to execute and Tyron to be able to coach. So
0: That's facts. Oh, and shout out to Dawson. Huge, personal John Wall fan. He is uh, probably the biggest John Wall fan I've ever met in my life. So uh, I'll be expecting you to show me a picture of your Clippers jersey when you get it.
1: Fair enough. I imagine those will be on sale pretty quick. Somewhere. But um, with that said, we're going to transition to our last segment of our episode. And that is going to be the top three players in the NBA. Kind of like I said at the beginning of the episode, we have a lot of players to pick from. uh, But we're just going to... Label it, or we're just gonna narrow it excuse me, to the top three players in the NBA at this current moment in time. So Kevin, to get this one to you, give me your top three players in the NBA right now.
0: Disclaimer, this is opinionated. I'm allowed to believe what I want to believe, and so is Kyle. So before people try to chop us up and tell us that we're stupid and we don't know nothing, again, I'm allowed to feel how I want. So in order from one to three. My top three players currently in the NBA, in my opinion, are Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, and Nikola Jokic. I personally think Giannis has taken the reins because obviously LeBron James is older, he's been injured, Kevin Durant has had a couple of injuries but still hasn't missed a step, but in terms of you know readiness and availability, what he's been able to do the last couple of years for the Milwaukee Bucks, the consistent level that he's been playing at, scoring, rebounding, passing, improving his game and his craft, getting better at the jump shot and at the free throw line, which is critical. I really think that because of his youth and a lot of the things that the Bucks have been able to do building around him, the success that the Bucks have had, obviously winning a championship the season before and doing what they needed to do to retain a lot of this roster. I think that the culture they've built in Milwaukee, as well as the skill that Giannis has developed while he has been in the league as Everybody knows you've seen the pictures, him being a stick to now being an absolute monster. We have seen the growth and the development of the next face of the NBA, which is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kevin Durant, in my opinion, walking bucket, six foot eleven, can shoot anywhere, can finish at the rim with both hands, can be aggressive, can finish at the free throw line as well. Um, the only reason he's not number one is because once again he's not available all the time because he has had some frequent injuries knee achilles uh when he was in golden state and a couple of other knickknack uh issues that he's had alongside while he's been in brooklyn and again we will see where he ends up when the trade goes through or wherever they decide to send him off but we've seen kevin durant go off and carry this brooklyn team by himself when kyrie wasn't available when james harden was hurt um with the inability for the coaching staff to kind of get things together and of course we all know that the, the debilitated bench that Brooklyn had at certain points because of COVID as well as other injuries, Kevin was basically going out there and scoring 30 at night. It still shows, even in his 30s, even despite the injuries, he is still an absolute bucket. Kevin Durant, to me, as he gets older, will potentially decline on this list, but I just personally think that Kevin Durant is just that guy still. Um, and number three, Nikola Jokic, back-to-back MVPs, best big in basketball. Don't care what your opinion is personally, because again, this is mine. Um, you don't win an MVP back-to-back years because you suck, or because you're lucky, or because you're, you're, you know your team is bailing you out. We've talked about this a multitude of times. Without Jamal Murray and Otto uh, and uh, not Otto Porter and Michael Porter Jr., this is a lottery team basketball roster. Over the last couple of seasons, Jokic has found a way to bring them to the playoffs both times. Jokic has found a way to average and break historical records back to back seasons. Between averaging basically 27 a game, what what were we talking like? 11, 12 rebounds a game, eight assists, multiple blocks, multiple steals, shooting efficiently from the three point line, from the three, excuse me, from the free throw line, from the three point line, as well as efficiency from the field. There's a reason why you won the MVP back-to-back. I know a lot of people are going to say that Joel Embiid won the scoring title. He's better, you know, offensively. He's better uh, at at being the primary scorer on his team. It it doesn't matter. I'm not just looking at scoring. When you look at the big picture and look at what Jokic brings to the table, as well as the fact that he can bring the ball up, facilitate without a skipping of a beat in terms of the system that they run in Denver, Nikola Jokic is hands down one of the best players in the league. Now, if you were to extend this list to maybe four or five, I could potentially see myself putting in Steph Curry. I could potentially see myself putting in LeBron James. I mean, it it just really, really depends what we're talking about. But let's not get it twisted. The three players that I mentioned rightfully belong in the top five discussion because of the consistency that they've been able to put on, uh, the, the consistencies they've been able to put and contribute to the NBA and their team success. So again, just to go over it, I got Giannis, I got KD, and I got Jokic.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a solid list. I mean, just to kind of narrow it to three, it's it's a difficult task It's by hard. It's, it's hard. Th- there were a lot of names that w- we both went over before we decided on our top three, but um, I do have a similar type of list compared to yours, uh, but it will be a little bit different when it comes to the number one spot, but I'm actually going to start at number three and then work down to the number one. So... For my number three player, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think Giannis is one of the best players in the NBA at this current moment in time. Granted, you know they, he didn't have the success that he had the year prior, won an NBA championship in uh, 2021, um, but this past season uh, fell a little bit short in that regard, but it was not because of Giannis. Giannis was dominating pretty much every game that you could think of. Uh, throughout not only the regular season, but in the playoffs as well. Giannis is one of the hardest working individuals, one of the hardest working players that I've seen this generation. He is somebody that will just, on the offensive side, is just a bruising force to go up against. And he does not care who he's you know guarded against. He will back down whoever he's going up against and just get to the rim and as effectively as he can. He is always somebody that is going to score around 25 to 30 points a game. When he really goes off, he's putting up 40, 45. He could have those dominant type performances where he puts up 40 points, 15 rebounds, and could get five or six assists or and maybe two or three blocks. I mean, Giannis is one of the best big men in the league. You know, basically, you can make an argument that he is the best center in the NBA. Granted, you know, you'd know, you have to focus on other guys like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, but Giannis has worked his way, and he's done it extremely effectively the last couple of years or so, and he's just a stalwart for the Bucs. Granted, there may be times when I look at the Bucks and I see their offensive style, especially in the playoffs, where it's difficult to watch them offensively because they are a very gritty offensive team. But when they are on point, when Giannis is on point, they are a thing of beauty to watch. And Giannis is really the main force that makes Milwaukee one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference and will be for the foreseeable future. Giannis is definitely the most impactful player for the Bucks, And you can make a case that he is the most impactful player in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I can make that argument right alongside Joel Embiid. But if I were to just focus just the Eastern Conference, I think that Giannis is probably the most impactful player out of every team in the Eastern Conference. So he's well-deserving to be in my top three, and I have him at number three. At number two, I have Nikola Jokic. Uh, The reason why I have Nikola Jokic at number two is... This may be a little bit of recency bias here. I don't really care. The guy won back-to-back MVPs. This guy is phenomenal. Jokic is essentially what I would consider like the complete package as far as a big man is concerned. The reason why is he took the center position and innovated a playing style that has really yet to be seen because to me up until about five, six years ago, the center position hadn't really caught up to where the NBA uh, standard is. And Jokic to me, is that person that elevated the position to where you had to be able to effectively shoot behind the three-point line. You have to be able to shoot effectively from the free throw line. You have to be able to get to the rim at will. And that's just on the offensive side. And not only that, he even took it a step further in his ability to facilitate, to be able to get seven, eight, nine, even 10 assists per game as a center. When you look throughout the entire course of the NBA landscape, there are very few players that are at his size that could be able to facilitate the basketball as effectively as he can. And he does it at an extremely precise level. And like Kevin had stated, if Jokic is not on this team just for his offensive capabilities, this team is probably a lottery team. And then when you focus on the defensive side, he's grabbing 10 11, 12, 13, 14 rebounds a game. He is consistently working on both ends of the court. But to me, what separates Jokic from Giannis, I did mention Giannis just a minute or two ago as being arguably the best center in the league. I make Jokic as the best center in the league simply because he's able to score at will. He's able to facilitate at will, and he's able to play solid defense on top of that by just eating rebounds and, getting the team in transition to set up a possible bucket. Jokic is a phenomenal player. And to me, he is really the single individual that has revolutionized the center position to a point where it is now basically a, I'd basically say it's like a prerequisite to be able to shoot effectively behind the three point line, to be able to knock down consistently from the free throw line, and then to be able to score at will. And then his facilitating, aspect to his game. It's just a thing of beauty. So overall, I mean, Jokic is a phenomenal player. He's well-deserving to win multiple MVPs back to back to be specific. And that's why I have him at number two. And then my number one player in the NBA at this current moment in time right now is Steph Curry. The reason why I have Steph over everybody else, it's not because that he just won an NBA finals championship. That would be his fourth. It's not because he won his first finals MVP in his career it is the impact that he has with his teammates when I look at the Golden State Warriors from this past year you could look at a couple of players in particular where you could see the the leaps and bounds that they've made in their respective individual careers and I think it's due into part the effect that Steph has for that roster that Golden State has Steph puts these guys in position to be able to execute at the best possible level. When I look at guys like Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins was a cast-off from the Minnesota Timberwolves just a couple years ago. He ends up with Golden State. And in this playoff run, for Golden State to go all the way to the finals and beat the Celtics in the NBA Finals, he was one of the most pivotal pieces that Golden State had. But I think it was the confidence that Steph and the other leaders that Golden State has that gave Andrew Wiggins that ability to flourish in the system that Golden State has. And I think when it comes to Steph's leadership, I think it rubs off not just on Andrew Wiggins. I think it rubs off on uh, Jordan Poole. I think it rubs off on uh, Gary Payton II. Even though the Gary Payton II left, he went to Portland uh, this offseason they made huge pivotal plays when golden state needed to. And I think it was because of Steph's leadership. And that's really kind of the the part I want to circle this point entirely. When it comes to Steph's leadership, Steph is different from other main pieces that golden state has. Draymond is the enforcer of that team. There's no other way about it. Steph is going to get in your face and he's not going to hold back. He's going to say what he wants to say. And he's going to get it off of his chest. When I look at Klay Thompson, Klay Thompson is definitely more of a a chill type of basketball player. Uh, He's definitely not as vocal as Draymond. But you can't underestimate his ability to just be a lethal three-point shooter for what Golden State has. And then when I look at Steph, Steph is by far and away the most impactful player for Golden State and probably one of the most impactful players that we've seen not just in the Western Conference, not just in the NBA, but really this generation as a whole. If Steph's not there, this team doesn't win one finals. Steph is the greatest three-point shooter that we've ever seen in NBA history. He's probably the greatest shooter that we've ever seen. And when you tie all those factors in together, including his leadership and the way that he, just his overall demeanor, the way that he's able to reach the players and his teammates, on the roster. I think it's the most effective way to be able to lock down the chemistry and put guys in position to be able to succeed. And I think Steph basically is like, I would say that Steph, when it comes to his leadership aspect is in between Draymond and clay. Steph knows when to turn it up to be a little bit more focused when talking to specific players. And he knows when to dial it back. And I think When you see the impact that he had on guys like Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, Gary Payton II, just three to kind of name off the top of my head. I think the impact of Steph's leadership showed in those three particular individuals. And that was why I think that Golden State was able to not only get to the finals, but to win it. And that was despite the fact that ESPN gave the Boston Celtics an 86% chance of winning that finals over the Golden State Warriors. ESPN slighted Steph, and Steph took full advantage of it and showed the rest of the world, like, we're back. Like, we're back for a reason, and he's the main guy that's leading it. And overall, I think Steph, no matter what happens with Golden State's roster, granted there's going to be turnover on that roster from here on out, but if Steph's there, that team is in a position to win at any time. And it wouldn't surprise me if that team competes for another finals next year. And it's because of Steph. I I don't think Jokic has that same impact. You can make a case that maybe Giannis does, but I think Steph is the difference maker a- out of all of those players. And I think that's why I have Steph Curry as my number one player in the NBA right now.
0: I mean, both our lists are, like you said, relatively the same outside of a player or two. Uh, obviously, the, the order can be different. And again, guys, for the last time, it, it's just opinionated. We know that Luka Doncic can be on this list. We know that LeBron James can be on this list. Uh, John Morant. There's, there's there's just so many different players depending on where you're from, what kind of basketball you like, your professional opinion, whether you played, whether you didn't, whether you watch every game, whether you don't. Um, this is just based on what we believe and again, you know, if, if you guys disagree, let us know why. Let us know your top three. Again, we encourage all of our, our, our fans, our, our followers, our subscribers, whatever, to just engage with us, man. If you have something to say, let us know. Don't bash us. Just, you know, just let it rock. You know, if you got something negative to say, of course, you know, say what you got to say. But don't expect a rebuttal at that point. We just We just want to share what we think and, you know, hear what you guys think. So... At the end of the day, the NBA is uh, an an incredible league with a lot of incredible talent, with a lot of incredible players. And, uh, you know, right now this is just Kyle and I's opinion on who we believe is the top three in the industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like when we were originally making our list, like for me it was actually kind of a struggle to kind of just limit it to three. And I know with me specifically when it came to Steph as my number one, a lot of people can can look at that as recency bias, and and I understand where that point comes from. But I, you know, I'm of the mindset that it's well deserved when it comes to Steph. I think Steph has earned that number one spot, just because, not just because of winning a finals, not because of winning an NBA Finals MVP. I just think his overall impact to his teammates, and you could say the game to a larger extent. I I think when you combine those factors together, it's he's the best in the game right now. And he had a great, he didn't just have a great playoffs run. I mean, he had a, he, he was solid from the beginning of the season all the way to the end. And he did say it to everybody, I think it was after they lost the, the play in tournament, the play in in tournament. He was saying for next year, watch out. And he was right. And he kind of just, he kind of just manifested it, I guess. There's no other way that Pretty I can much. say it. But overall, I, I mean, like Kevin said, I mean, definitely chime in if you if you guys have different opinions on who you think is the... Who who do you think the top three players in the NBA are? These are just our lists. Um, we definitely would like to hear what sort of suggestions that you guys have. Uh, we're definitely open to that. But um, overall, I thought it would just be like a fun segment uh, to be able to close the, the, the episode out on. So... With that said, Kev, that pretty much wraps up all of our segments f- for today. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap this up?
0: Uh, not really, man. Again, you know, as the summer c- progresses, we'll keep you guys abreast as to you know when time is going to be missed and you know when one of us is going to be out. Uh, I'll be gone this weekend for the birthday, so Kyle and I are trying to figure out whether or not we're going to record Wednesday night or Thursday night. Just because if I'm gone this weekend, I know my family might want to see me on Thursday it's just going to be kind of like a hoopla but you know kyle and i will make sure we have content to put out a uh, huge shout out to the tiktok man we have a video that's kind of still growing slowly right now that's gotten over forty-five thousand views on tiktok uh we're kind of working our way towards about 13 1400 likes uh, i know that you know sometimes boasting about statistics isn't necessarily i guess like you know uh, applauded or encouraged but We like to tell our fans and and the people that follow us religiously that, you know, things are getting better. Things are getting good, even in a dry spell right now with uh, with content. uh, It just goes to show the effort that we're putting out there is being noticed. And uh, it just feels really good, man. Sometimes you got to pat yourself on the back. And uh, as as I say all the time, it would not be possible without my partner because he does all the editing, all the work to do all the thumbnails and shit. So like kudos to you, bro. That TikTok blew up not just because of that but you were the focal point of the conversation in the video. So, you know, shout out to you, my boy, my boy, it, it, it did good. And it did good for a lot of reasons.
1: Well, I mean, it has been a minute since we've had something blow up. It's like you said, it's, it's been a dry spell, um, for us as far as just the, the impact of what we've put out as far as content is concerned. But I mean, overall, it's just, you know, Kevin, and I enjoy doing what we do. And, um, it is definitely appreciated whenever, you know, we get a, a huge response like the one that we did on, on the Baker Mayfield TikTok a couple of days ago. Um, just because, you know, no matter how you look at it, like, you know, Kevin, and I put the work in as best as we can every time that we stepped in a microphone. And, you know, no matter who's really making the opinions, we, we, we try to make it work as best as we can, but, we're always going to work towards putting out the best product that we can for you guys, and you know I'm just I'm very appreciative of the support uh, that we got for the TikTok. Really, it was it was Kevin who was the one who had the idea of doing that, that Baker TikTok, and that was just kind of like a spur of the moment thing where it just kind of had its own it just had its own thing. It just took off at of its own accord. So, um, we definitely appreciate you guys um, having such a positive response uh to what Kevin and I put out a couple of days ago. And I really the only thing that I could say moving forward is just hoping that, you know, we can get just consistent support no matter what we drop. Obviously, you know, Kevin and I have different opinions on the different sports that we talk about and hopefully you guys in- enjoy uh the content that we put out. Kevin and I do the best that we can. And, you know, we hope that you guys enjoy listening or watching what we do cuz I could tell you, I I think Kevin would probably say the same thing is we enjoy doing this from beginning to end. And, uh, it's, it's very nice to, you know, see, you know, something like that, that Baker TikTok, uh, blow up the way that it did. Honestly, I did not think it was going to. So, um, that's really kind of a testament to you guys for being able to chime in, uh, share your opinions with us. And, you know, it's, kind of like what kevin said it's like we we appreciate the feedback that we get from you guys whenever we do so hopefully that will continue moving forward
0: yeah man it's it's good to see the fruits of your labor kind of paying off and i don't know i i've realized tiktok in particular is uh is the best way to grow right now especially in today's day and age especially from a content creation uh standpoint but i've also realized in a short time that It's also one of the most toxic platforms, because people just come out there and say the craziest shit in the world, and you're just sitting there like, you have nothing better to do than shit on an opinion.
1: And you don't think Twitter is? See, but Twitter, Twitter, Twitter you know what you're getting into with
0: Twitter. Twitter, you know what you're getting into. It's been around forever. Twitter has been around for...
1: Twitter's been here for 10 years.
0: That's what I'm saying. Way more than that, bro. What? Twitter's been around since before we were in high school. No one used it back then, though.
1: Yeah, when did it pop off? When did it pop off?
0: Twitter popped off when I was in high school, probably around 2010, 2011. That's when it really, really started picking up a lot of steam in terms of just putting a message out there and letting it go out there. TikTok, from a video standpoint, because remember, Twitter used to just be verbal, just words. They didn't have the videos and all, you know, yeah, the, the links and all it this shit. Used to be shit.
1: 140 characters, bro. It used to be
0: exactly. That. So now you talk about TikTok, which was just a supposed to be the new Vine. Like it was supposed to be 10 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever it started at. Now it's like we can put basically for, an entire episode videos. almost. Yeah. So, for, so for people to come on a on a minute video and absolutely come at us sideways, call us media chasers, say that we suck, say that we don't know what we're talking about. Granted, some people came in there great conversations. I think this person's better. I disagree with your take. And, you know, we responded accordingly. But then you just have so many salty people. It's just like, what did we do to you? Did we offend you? Like, did are you? Did we not mention your favorite quarterback in that TikTok? I just, I find it to be comical and how well, sensitive people can be.
1: If there's one way that I can look at it, I think that that TikTok has like over 1,200 likes, something like that. And the amount of comments on that is around like 200 to 250 so basically for every five likes that we get for that video you got to deal with one person that comments and gets toxic like, i can live with that oh hey that's not, i've been that's handling not the comment
0: section i think i've been doing fine with that again oh, i just I'm find i that comical. you are
1: I, i'm glad that you are because i see some of these tastes i'm like bro like don't don't give me the firepower i'd like don't don't give me the bullets bro like i'm pop off like somebody's just some of the comments i found kind of comical or I found amusing. So yeah. It, 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 and for me, like it's all on fun. Like I don't take it serious, you know, no, not at all. But you know, overall it's just, you know, I just, it still shocks me like the amount of traction that, that, that TikTok got. So, you know, just hopefully, um hopefully we get, you know, similar type results in the future. That's just my hope.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that about wraps it up for this evening. We're probably going to put out some more content, obviously, throughout the week. Keep you posted, but that about wraps it up, and uh, we'll be seeing you guys soon. Have a great start to your week.
1: Yep. Same here. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B., and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore L A. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard oh, no, junior my
0: dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels
1: again